Welcome to Season 2 of The Kraken Busters, where we explore the great sea monster crisis of 1987. This is Episode 202, The Fearless Freaks. I'm Keith Pilly. Before I get rolling, though, I guess I need to revive my old practice of addressing some listener feedback up front. Listener Jillian from Herman, Nebraska asks, What the heck is the deal with a person in Iceland being named H.T. Rounder? Like, for one thing, why would the CIA people just call that person by their name? And why doesn't that name sound Icelandic at all? These are good questions, Jillian, and I guess it's on me for not being more clear. The thing is, the second part of your question answers the first. The person's name wasn't H. T. Rounder. Nobody but their case officer and maybe the head of the Reykjavik CIA station knew or knows their actual name. H.T. Rounder was the CIA codename for the source. Actually, Rounder was the codename, and the H.T. was the two-letter digraph indicating which country it was in. Um, this is just this is a CIA system. If you spend any time in you know any part of the internet where people consider themselves edgy, you'll see some reference to MK Ultra, which was the uh, CIA's mind control. Um, it, it went nowhere, but they had a, a project like aimed at mind control. Uh, it was all stupid and silly. Uh, it was called MK Ultra, and the MK was the digraph there. So, yeah, digraphs—they're out there. Uh, sorry, I should have spelled all this out more clearly. Thanks for asking. And anybody else, if something in the narrative is not clear or you think I have something wrong, please let me know. Okay. So, last week, we eased our way into the beginnings of the North Atlantic Sea Monster Crisis in 1987. If you remember, President Robert Kennedy received an intelligence report that the Icelandic government was going to announce that some ships were missing, and that they thought it might be a sign that the first sea monster outbreak in 35 years was at hand. Kennedy at first thought he saw an opportunity to score an easy foreign policy win by, quote, defeating creatures that he didn't think actually existed. But his national security advisor, Juliana Burke, quickly convinced him that the risk of a panic over just the idea of a sea monster outbreak wasn't worth it. And he then personally leaned on the Icelandic government to quash the report, which they were surprisingly happy to do. Uh, At the very end of the episode, Kennedy had also asked to talk to an obscure general. This week, that obscure general works to figure out what's going on. Now, to get into that, we need to step back a little bit. In December of 1973, a quiet crisis involving the discovery of a World War II-era German bomber loaded with canisters of experimental Nazi chemical weapons Uh, was frozen into a Norwegian glacier. The crisis had forced President Nelson Rockefeller to stare into the face of a problem. The American military apparatus, as it existed then, was a blunt instrument. 
Theoretically, the army was configured for large land engagements with Soviet forces, even if it was never clear where in Europe these engagements would happen. American war plans generally had an element of, uh, you know, assume France invites us in before the tanks roll across the border from Germany. And the Navy and Air Force were configured to support them. Of course, realistically, what this meant was that the American military machine was configured to fight viciously for a short time until matters escalated and the missiles flew and civilization ended. It was just, it was a tough headspace all the way around. Um, and aside from the existential dread that came from thinking about the strategic situation for more than half a minute, there was another more immediate problem. This blunt instrument was, well, blunt, not very adaptable. If, say, you needed to get a small team into the Norwegian glacier fields to secure a frozen bomber loaded with a bunch of Nazi chemical weapons before the Russians got to it, there were no good options. You can't just send an armored division off to do that. So, in consultation with the Secretary of Defense and the Joint Chiefs, Rockefeller ordered the creation of a secret military unit outside of the normal service structure. Initially called Detachment 68, the idea was simple. Come up with a list of military specialties that might be important in these quick crisis situations, and then find and assign an expert from whatever branch in each of those specialties to Detachment 68, and then provide cross-training to the other D-68 members so that in a given crisis, the relevant expert could lead a small team of other Detachment 68 members to take care of whatever the list, this latest crisis was. To facilitate this, if the D-68 team needed some kind of larger logistical support from the mainstream military, they were given pretty close to carte blanche to commandeer it. The program was wildly successful, and Rockefeller leaned on it quite a bit through the rest of his term in office. For instance, although a different story was given to the public, and thus was probably what you learned in school, it was actually a D-68 team that rescued the hostages from the U.S. Embassy in Honduras in 1976. Towards the end of the Rockefeller administration, a Department of Defense reorganization led to Detachment 68 being renamed the Heightened Action Military Apparatus, or HAMA. A subsequent executive order by President Hubert Humphrey in 1978 changed the name once again to the U.S. General Interest Joint Operations Expeditionary Team. Until someone pointed out to Humphrey that this name appearing on budgets, even classified budgets, directed too much attention to a team that was so secret that it wasn't even supposed to exist. So a subsequent executive order changed it to Detachment 69. Among members of the team, and in shadowy rumors within the military establishment, and to be clear, the team didn't officially exist, but rumors about it were everywhere throughout the U.S. military, Detachment 69 was just known as the Fearless Freaks. In 1987, the commanding officer of the Fearless Freaks was General Clayton Abernathy. And this was the person Robert Kennedy had asked to be put in touch with after leaning on Steingrimmer Hermanson to quash the Sea Monster Conference. The whole crisis was a classic Detachment 69 situation. So, late in the evening of May 2nd, Abernathy reported into the White House by secure comlink from Detachment 69's clandestine headquarters facility somewhere in the greater New York metro area. The meeting was quick and to the point. Kennedy ordered Abernathy to assemble a D-69 mission team led by one of their naval experts to quietly get to Iceland as quickly as possible and find out what the hell was going on. Like we discussed last week, 
Kennedy was almost certain that there was not a sea monster outbreak underway in the North Atlantic. But there is a huge difference between almost certain and completely certain. And if there was an outbreak going on, he wanted to know about it quickly and quietly. Additionally, he wanted Abernathy to order the fearless freaks to watch on the scene what the Icelandic government was doing, or at least what their navy was up to. Possibly some first-hand observation would clear up if this was some clever maneuver on their part towards unknown ends. Abernathy hopped to it immediately, as soon as the call ended. Although the Fearless Freaks had several team members who specialized in niche naval matters, there was one member who was more of a naval generalist, a sort of sailor savant, who'd been through a lot of shit on the sea, and knew his way around ships like nobody else. Javier Delgado was put in charge of the mission, with a few of the other naval specialists assigned to the team as subordinates. Now, Detachment 69 mission commanders were given extremely wide latitude in how they could choose to pursue their objectives. And as I mentioned earlier, the unit had a nearly infinite power to commandeer other military resources. So in the mission briefing that happened in the early morning hours of the 3rd, Delgado, in consultation with Abernathy and the rest of the mission team, decided that the best approach here would be to activate the USS Flag Island, a Tarawa-class marine amphibious assault ship. Uh, essentially, it's a pretty big ship that looks like a small aircraft carrier. It can launch a ton of helicopters and landing craft. You know, it's designed to put a bunch of marines ashore, um, but if you're D-69, you can just load it up with your toys and put those ashore. Um, anyway, the Flag Island was quietly kept in a state of readiness at their disposal by the Navy at Naval Station Newport in Rhode Island. It would take the Flag Island three days to get to the target area south of Iceland, so Abernathy ordered her out immediately, with the idea that Delgado and the rest of the mission team would join her by helicopter en route after they'd assembled their gear. D-69 had several helicopter experts assigned, and they'd be active parts of the mission too. The Flag Island left port at 6.30 in the morning on the 3rd and immediately began a high-speed run to the northeast. As Detachment 69 sprang into action, a tense waiting period settled over the White House and the Pentagon. Kennedy met with a team of crisis advisors, including National Security Advisor Burke, Secretary of Defense Daniel Inouye, Secretary of State Biden, and Ron Hughes, the Director of Central Intelligence. The President's brothers, the former Senators John and Edward Kennedy, were also frequent participants in these meetings, there to offer political advice and emotional support. The White House's concerns were multifarious. What was really going on here? Why was the Icelandic Defense Minister so hung up on sea monsters? Was this some sort of Icelandic power play? Were the Soviets involved somehow? Did this have anything to do with whatever it was the Soviets were up to in Paris? Was this the beginning of a wider Soviet move that was going to crank up their dominance of Europe a notch higher? I'm going to spoil things right now and just tell you the answer to all of these is a strong no. But this is a great example of the kind of paranoid thought loops that the Kennedy White House was all too prone to talking itself into at every chance. So, in the White House, the worried meetings continued for days as they waited for Delgado's team, now on the Flag Island after helicoptering aboard off of Newfoundland, to get onto the scene and let them know what was really up. In the meantime, there was no shortage of scary shadows on the wall to fret about. And that is it for this episode. This, uh, this week we got a short one. Thank you so much for listening. 
Please join me next week as the USS Flag Island reaches Iceland, and uh, we really get to know Javier Delgado, who I just, I have to say, provided me with one of the most fun oral history interviews I have ever had the privilege to conduct. Thank you, and be well. Bye. Yeah.